Okay, good morning. Wow, we have got lots of visitors here. It's really wonderful to see you all, familiar faces and new faces. You are so welcome here. Uh, my name is Lynn, and I believe that God has given me something to share this morning. God himself wants to speak to you and to me this morning. And the enemy, of course, does not want us to hear what he has to say. So let's just take a moment. Let's close our eyes and let's still our spirits and our hearts and our minds. And Father, we are just amazed at your love for us and what you are doing here in this place. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will settle the peace of God upon every heart, every mind, every spirit, every soul. That you will still all those voices that cry out for attention. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that in that quietness, you will take these words that I speak this morning and that you will pierce our soul with your love, with your kindness, with your truth, with the wonderful things that you want to do for each one. So come, Holy Spirit, come and speak this morning to each of your sons and daughters here and do all that you want to do in our midst. Amen. Almost sent the cup of water flying. <laughs> okay, so this morning we are continuing with our series of emotionally healthy spirituality. And in this whole series, we've been looking at, um, there's in all of our lives, there's 10%, as with an iceberg, that is above the water that everyone else can see, and it looks good, and we polish it and keep it clean and present it to the world. But actually, 90% of an iceberg, as with us, 90% of our lives is under the water. And what Jesus wants to do is penetrate that 90% and set it free and clean it up and absolutely set us on a new path of his choosing. And we've been talking, last week we had the introduction to the, the uh, which was called Going Back to Go Forward. And we have looked at how God wants each one of us to embrace his choice of family and his choice of parents and his country, and this time that he has chosen to birth each one of us in. You did not come at this moment by an accident, but God has chosen your parents, your place of birth, this time in history to bring you into the world. Um, and that coming through the lineage and the parenthood that you had this gives us certain opportunities and gifts. Giftings have come down your family line. Opportunities have come down your family line, which have been given to you and have made you who you are today. But equally, through your family line, there has come 
some less positive things, some emotional baggage, some trauma, some less nice things that have happened in your life, which have also shaped you and impacted you and made you the person that you are today. And this formation happens to every single person, whether you're a Christian or not. It comes down through the generations. And you haven't just arrived as a ready-made person today. You are the product of the generations that have gone before you. And last week, we looked biblically at this, about how when God speaks of families, he speaks in terms of three or four generations. And we saw that with Abraham, Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and all the other boys, they were the most blessed family on the earth. And the promises of God came to that family and that family alone. There was no one in the entire earth more blessed than that family. But we also saw, going down through the generations, that sin prevailed and patterns were formed in that family. So we saw how Abraham lied about his wife, Sarah. And that in the next generation, Isaac also lied about his wife, Rebekah. And then you drop down, down a generation, and Jacob lied about everything to everyone. And his children, all ten of those boys, were liars. They all got into all sorts of mischief because they lied. When you go through those generations, you see in every generation there was separation. One child was favored and the other was not. And this caused tremendous conflict within the family, tremendous trouble. So you see Abraham favored Ishmael over Isaac, and Isaac favored Esau over Jacob, and Jacob favored Joseph and Benjamin over the other 10. And that pattern repeated itself through the generations and caused tremendous pain and suffering in those families. And what God is saying um, to us is that often we are totally unaware of the impact of our family and our culture upon who we are today. We are unaware of how it has formed us. Or we just don't believe it's there at all. We don't realize that things have come down through the generations that have affected us deeply today. But what God is wanting to say to all of us is twofold. It's embrace the family that you came from. Embrace all the good things that God has done through the generations of your family. But also... Be willing to look at the things that are not so good that have come down through your generations and that in order to go forward as a free son or daughter of our father, sometimes we have to go back and recognize what's in our past and unhook ourselves from it so that we can go forward freely into our future 
and become all that we were destined to be. So again, going back to that biblical example, we can see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph breaks the family line. And he isn't a liar, and he doesn't seek revenge, and he doesn't seek to crush his brothers when he has the opportunity. He doesn't want payback time. He breaks the family line that has gone through the generations, and he acts differently towards his brothers, towards his family, than they have done for the previous three generations. And because he chooses to not be like them, but to act differently, he becomes what God destined him to be. And he becomes a gift to the known world at that time because he saves them all from famine. And I believe with all my heart that God is doing a deep work in this place with all of us. And he is wanting to form a company of people who are free and walking deeply with him because he has great plans. And he wants to make each one of you here a gift to the world that is free, that is mighty, and is powerful so that he can affect in the world what he wants to do through this company of people here. There is a world, I think it was Helen, the world does not know what to do. They are bankrupt morally, socially, spiritually, economically, politically, sexually. In every way, there is a bankrupt world outside. And I believe that in this place, God is wanting to do something deeply significant with little old you and little old me because he wants to use us. He wants to raise up a people who will follow him powerfully and freely and be the vehicles of what he wants to do in this world. I've run ahead of myself. Okay, so if we understand this principle that there is inheritance, that you are the product of your past, both good and bad. I'd just like to say this, that, could we have the next slide, sorry. Um, in every family, in every family, there is an unspoken at least 10 commandments. And sometimes it's explicit and sometimes it's not explicit, but it's there nonetheless. And these commandments are hardwired into our DNA. Um, and we simply, when we are born again, we bring these commandments into our closest relationships. So for example, maybe you will identify with this because we have the first one, money. How did your family do money? What did your family think about money? Did they think money is the best source of security? Or did they think the more money you have, the more important you are? Or did they think you've got to make lots of money and then you will have made it? But without you realizing it, your family will have had a policy on money. Conflict. How did your family and my family handle conflict? 
was it avoid conflict at all costs? Did your family say, was the unspoken rule, don't upset people, don't go anywhere near conflict, avoid it as much as possible? Or in your family, was there loud, angry, constant fighting and this was considered normal? There was a lot of that in my family. Number three, what did your family say about sex? Did your family say sex in somehow is shameful and shouldn't be spoken about openly? Did your family say men can be promiscuous but women must be chaste? Did your family say sexuality in marriage will come easily? What were the messages, and we could have a million messages on this one, what were the messages, the unspoken messages that came to you about sexuality or sex? How did your family handle grief and loss? In your family, was sadness a sign of weakness? In your family, were you not allowed to be depressed? You know, if you were feeling cheesed off, were you just told to buck up and pull yourself together? In your family, were you told, get over your losses quickly and move on? In fact, don't pay too much attention to them at all. Just get on with what needs doing. How did your family express anger? So, it could be that in your family, anger is dangerous and bad. Or, in your family, was it very common for everybody to explode in anger in order to make a point? Did anger come out differently in your family? Did it come out as sarcasm or snidey remarks that pierced like a sword? but it wasn't outright full-in-your-face anger. How did anger express itself in your family? What did your family say about family? What messages did you get? You owe your parents everything for all they've done for you. Don't speak of your family's dirty laundry in public. Or, duty to family and culture comes before everything. What messages were said in your family about family? Um, next one. Relationships. How did your family perceive relationships? Don't trust people. They will let you down. Nobody will ever hurt me again. That was a really big one in my own life. Don't show vulnerability. Maybe your family, you invited lots of people over. Maybe in other families, they didn't want anyone over. How did your family prioritize and view relationships? Attitudes, cultural attitudes. What did your family say about different cultures and races? Was the message, only be close friends with people 
who are like you. Don't marry a person of another culture. That's really strong to this day in Jewish culture. You know, it's really frowned upon to marry outside of Judaism with good reason, but it's very strong. Was the unspoken message, certain cultures and races are not as good as others. These unspoken messages are sent loud and clear to every generation. Success. In your family, what constitutes success? Is it getting into the best schools? Is it making a lot of money? Is it getting married and having children? What constitutes success in your family? And finally, feelings and emotions. What were the messages that came down through your family about these things? Certain feelings are not allowed. You know, I can remember um, as a child, if, you, if I got exuberant over something, you were straight away told, stop showing off. So you were prohibiting a child from expressing joy, actually. Well, that's a very powerful message to a young child. What were the messages in your family? Was the message your feelings are not important? Or um, reacting with your feelings is how you should go throughout life. Your feelings should drive everything, and that's okay. So these unspoken messages are passed very, very powerfully down all the generations. And as they went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to all the boys and then to Joseph who broke free, I would put it to you unequivocally this morning, so it is with you, that in your generations, Great blessings and great gifts have come down the generations. God put your parents together, whether they intended it or not. He put your parents together and knit you in your mother's womb because he wanted exactly you as you are. He wanted you. He carefully chose your parentage, whether they did or not. But also, negative things come down those family lines. And it's these negative things that we're often unaware of that Jesus wants us to go back and unhook ourselves from so that we're free. So last week I was saying that a family constitutes three or four generations. So I thought I'd be quite brave <laughs> and I'll, I'll put up my family tree. No, could we just go to... Sorry. My family tree. Okay, so this is my family tree. And although I did tell you that a family tree should go back three or four generations, I could only go back three. One, two, three. Because I don't know anything about the fourth generation the generation, 
I often, when I came here, I used to, I used to think it was marvelous at Abby and Sheila and Jenny Stanley because they've got how many generations now? Five generations. And they all know each other and have meals together. I used to just think that was amazing. And there's so many brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and everything else. I think it's 70 or 80 if you all get together. It's huge. Anyway, mine is really, really tiny. But um, if you look on the left-hand side, this is my mother's uh, family. So Harold married Clara, and they had... Actually, this isn't quite right, but they had four children. So they had Ron, Clifford, Clara, and my mother, Mary. Now, on my father's side, uh, on my mother's side, my grandfather, Harold, was the black sheep of his family. And all I know is this. He came from an extremely well-to-do family, but he was the black sheep. And he married Clara, who by all accounts, the only thing I've heard really is that she was stunningly beautiful. But in that... <laughs> you say all the right things. Um, in that family, Harold sold everything he had. I remember going to their house once, and I hated it. I was probably about five years old, and I hated being in that house because it was so dark. And Harold sold everything he had, and he drank. He was an alcoholic. And Clara, his beautiful wife, the only thing I know about her is that she was a party girl. And I don't know, I mean, we're probably in the 1920s, 19, I'm not quite sure. So she was out at parties all the time. And she had these four children um, who she neglected. And Ron, when he was old enough, he went to Australia, and I've seen him once. I've maybe seen my grandparents at the absolute maximum five times in my life. And that would be a generous view. Clifford, I've never met him, and Clara died at some point. And my mother, Mary, was born into that family. Now, last week I told you some of the things that I'd endured as a child. But I want to tell you, my mother, when she was young, a little girl, her mother, Clara, wouldn't speak to her for weeks. So this little girl, Mary, grew up without her mother speaking to her. And so when she came to be a mother, she had no idea and did things happened in our family that were not good. But you can understand it because as the Bible says, the consequences of sin goes through three or four generations. So then my mother, Mary, married George. Now on George's family, his father was also called George and they lived in Scotland. And I don't really know anything about George and his wife, Margaret. My grandma, Maggie, she was lovely, but I didn't know her very well, again, because I probably only saw them half a dozen times in my whole life. But George had a sister called Catherine, 
And I have no idea what happened, but very early on in their lives, Catherine and George fell out. And from that moment till their dying day, they would never speak to each other. So there's division in the family. George had two, three children. He had Catherine and Margaret and my dad, George, who then married my mother, Mary. So my, my grandmother was always out at parties. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My mother was an alcoholic. My mother and my father had a really, really unhappy marriage because they hadn't had much of an example. And so in our family, there were lots of affairs. Different people were having affairs with different people. And I grew up, that's, to me, that was the norm. That's what marriage was all about. In our family, there was a lot of conflict all the time. That was just normal. Didn't really expect peace and quiet and joy and all of that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> and my parents' marriage failed. There was all sorts of things going on. But if you saw them from the outside, you would see that 10% of the iceberg, which looked great. My dad had a very powerful job, very responsible job, and he was very good at it. And the outside looked great, but all of this was going on on the inside behind closed doors. Yeah. Okay. So eventually my parents divorced, and my father married my stepmother, and I moved in with my father and my stepmother. My stepmother wasn't really a whole lot older than me. And so then you've got two people competing for a father's affection. And in the end, you know, I just didn't win that one. I had no chance. But my stepmother, there was, there was goodness there. It's just, it's just how it was. And eventually my father um, divorced from my stepmother and uh, he went on to partner number three, who he was with when he died. And I, I really didn't like this lady because she had an agenda all of her own and it wasn't good. So when I came down and I became a Christian, I had an incredibly fractured past. And I was made new in Jesus. And I was incredibly grateful when I was born again because suddenly I had a moral structure which in my whole life I had never had a moral structure because it was all so chaotic. Um, and then I married this wonderful man And God began to do a work of restoration. But it took time. By the time I got to be a Christian, I was an incredibly insecure person. Incredibly insecure. All that had gone on at school. My modus operandi, my expectation was that you grew up, you got married, your husband had affairs, and you were left with the children. So when I came here, I would not get married. I wouldn't even entertain the idea. And I would never, ever entertain the idea of having children. Because I just did not want to end up in the same mess I'd seen others. 
But if you had seen me, and some of you did see me when you first came, you would never have known any of that because the top 10% looked good, looked smart, looked as though I had it all together, etc., etc. But inside, I had nothing together. And God does his restoration work in broken people. But broken people is every single family in this room. All of us have got baggage, some more than others. Some have got more blessing than baggage, but we all have baggage. We've all been influenced by our culture. And you don't even realize how it's influenced you. We've all been influenced by our family. We've all been influenced by the things that have happened to us. Um, I think I'll just move on from that. So I just want to ask you this morning, what are the messages that you received from your family? And really, we all need to think about this. You need to do that and have a look at your family tree. What came down through your family. So, you know, my, my mum could be very cruel and sometimes she was very dangerous to be around. My father, he didn't mean to be, but he was incredibly controlling. And I could be in Japan and he could be here, but he would still control me. Um, yeah, so you just have to ask yourself, what are the things that you've picked up? What did you pick up about parenting? What did you pick up about gender roles? What did you pick up about marriage or singleness? What did you pick up about physical affection and touch? And it really is essential that we reflect on these things, the, me the messages that came down to us, um, because often they are in conflict um, with what Jesus says. But because they are so much a part of us, we don't realize how they affect us. Um, yeah. And what can happen is something called compartmentalization. So sorry, if we could go back on the, on the, um, yeah. So, you know, I can become a Christian. I did become a Christian in 1981. And it was the greatest thing that has ever happened to me the greatest privilege. And when you become a Christian, you, you learn to pray and you learn to read scripture and you learn to participate in small groups and worship and you learn to use your gifts and develop them. And as I said, I was just thrilled to have this moral structure. Um, but unless we are willing to go back and look at some of this other stuff, that can take over. So, you know, for example, I remember when I came here, when I became a Christian, I knew, um, I knew that you couldn't get divorced. And so every night, every single night, I would have uh, nightmares about marrying the wrong person because my past said, you know, you're never going to marry the right person. Um, but I knew that in, in God's sight, he didn't want you to get divorced. So I had to unhook that whole thing. Um, 
But when your past is illuminated, it can be really painful. Sometimes we don't want to go back and visit the things of our past. Sometimes, and I have struggled with this, I haven't put last week's message up on the, on the, on the website. We don't want to in any way bring dishonor to our families because our parents did their very best. So in a way, I, I would just like to finish off the story with my own parents. There were many, many things that weren't good. But uh, my mum, you know, as she got older with the effects of alcohol, she would often fall down and, you know, anyway, one day she was in bed and I went round to visit her and I just lay on the bed next to her and I just said, Mum, didn't mention any of the negative things, but I thanked her for all the good things that she had done for me. So my mum, who'd had this terrible upbringing, she sent me to ballet. She sent me to brownies. She's, we travelled ever such a lot as a family because my mum wanted me to have things that she didn't have. And I can remember lying on the bed and I just, it was that one of those spirit moments and I thought of, he was just showing me all the things she had done for me. And my mum, I honestly couldn't really say that she lived. My mum really just existed for all the years that she was on earth. But I want to let you know, my mum's in heaven. Because God covered her sin and she, she gave her life to him, even though she never really lived in the good of it. And after she died, I had a vision of my mum in heaven. I was actually there. She couldn't see me, but I could see her. And my mum, who'd had 70 years of absolute misery, really, she was skipping in heaven because of utter, utter joy and peace and happiness in Jesus. And my father, who, he didn't get it all right either. But you know what? When my father died, he, we had the funeral up in Scotland. And there was a church seated about 450 people. And it was packed to the gunnels because there were so many people who loved and appreciated my father because he was a good man. There were many, many good things about my dad, albeit that there were some less good things. And I just want to tell you that because it's never all bad or all good. But it's against this backdrop that when we become Christians, Jesus wants to do his deepest work of setting us free and healing us and restoring us and sending us on. But you cannot bring to Jesus what you are unaware of. So... Um, I'll just give you a little example. Um, gentlemen, forgive me. I'm sorry, it's, it's against gentlemen, but anyway. Um, you know, let's say somebody comes and they have marriage problems and there is a lot of arguing and, you know, tension between the husband and wife. Well, let's say the gentleman has grown up in a family where his father... The example of being a good husband is, I need to provide for my family. 
So he goes out and he works hard to provide money for his family. But when he gets home at five o'clock, he expects his meal on the table and he thinks, totally unconsciously, big tick, job done. I have worked hard to provide food and clothes and shelter for my wife and my family. I've been a great husband. But what if his wife needs him to talk to her? What if his wife needs physical affection, not sex, affection? What if his wife would like to, I don't know, she'd like him to come out with her, shopping or some such thing? But the husband thinks, job done. I've provided for her. I have fulfilled my role model. But the word of God says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So then you see the picture that the gentleman subconsciously has in his mind as the role of a father and a husband to provide is different to the command of Jesus of how we are to live biblically because he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now those two are completely different animals but what happens is we think that's it. So we could, you know, the mature among us could pray for those people. But unless that man is willing to let go of his preconceived idea of what it is to be a good husband, we won't really get anywhere. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? That we need to understand what has shaped us and how does that vary from the biblical standard so that we be can become all that God wants us to be. And I think Jesus is highlighting this now because he wants to do a deep work within all of us, men or women, sons or daughters, because he has a great future for all of us. But the challenge is, if we don't do that, two things will happen. One is that we will just repeat the pattern and that what I've experienced from my past, I will pass on to my children. Well, there are some things that actually I have already passed on to my children, which if I'd known this 20 years ago, I would have done differently. But who of us wants to visit the less nice things that we've experienced down the generations? Really, we want the best for our children because we love them. But that means maybe we have to unhook for some things of the past. And the second thing is if we don't unhook ourselves, if we're not willing to unhook ourselves from the things that formed us that are not, not biblical, two things will happen. That thing that's gone wrong will become worse. It will become hardened. It will develop and grow doesn't just stay at the level it was. And if we don't deal with it, we will never become what you were destined to be and I was destined to be. There is a plan and a story already written in heaven for each one of us, and it's magnificent. And it, the word says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. You cannot know what good things are in your future. 
But in order to come into them, we have to be willing to go back and look at some of the things of our past and unhook ourselves from them and learn a new way of doing things. So it, it's hard. I remember when I married Gerald, so when I, you saw my family tree and I probably saw each set of grandparents in my whole lifetime, probably five, maybe 10 times at the most. When I married Gerald, we got married, we went down to visit Gerald's parents. Now they have a completely different set of Ten Commandments, really, really different to my family. And we went down for the weekend, and as we left, Gerald's mum just put her head through the car window, and she said, you know, it's been really lovely to see you. I'll see you again in about six weeks. And I can remember, I felt like I'd been slapped in the face. And I sat there thinking, what, what, what do you mean you'll see me in six weeks? You won't see me for another year, if that. Because in our family, we didn't do that. We saw each other maybe once a year. And I felt, I was horrified. I thought, you mean I have to come again? And you know what? <laughs> it was really, really hard for me to keep going down to visit Gerald's family. I got everything wrong. I transgressed every single one of their Ten Commandments, their unspoken commandments. But, and it was hard for years. It wasn't just like that first year. But you know what? When Gerald's mum died, when she came to the end of her life, I looked after her as if she was my own mother. I did everything for her because she taught me family. She wasn't saved then. But she taught me family, but by Jiminy, it was hard. But you have to be willing to allow Jesus Christ to mold you into what he wants and destined you to be. But at times, that can feel really uncomfortable. It's not just a quick prayer and a flutter of the Holy Spirit and whoosh, bang, wallop, I'm, I'm perfect. Would that it were. <laughs> Sometimes discipleship is really hard work. And this is what I believe Jesus is calling this body to. He wants to raise up men and women who will leave the past behind and who will run after him and embrace all that he has for us. He wants a people that will lay down our lives, so easy to sing about, and say, Lord, it's jolly hard at times. I cannot tell you some of the struggles I've had. But you have one life. I want to follow Jesus for all that he has for me. And this is why I think he's bringing these challenging things to each and every one of us, because he wants to. This is the backdrop of the gospel. I died to set you free and to give you a hope and a future and a destiny. Amen.